Hello, I'm Carol Tonietti, Chief Curator of the Norton Simon Museum, and I'm here today with my colleague Colin Bailey, the Peter J. Sharp Chief Curator and Associate Director of the renowned Frick Collection in New York. You will remember that last spring, five of our most beloved old master paintings were displayed at the Frick, and this was the auspicious beginning of an exchange program between the Frick and the Norton Simon Collections. We take this occasion to tell you about a gracious loan that is coming our way from the Frick October 30th, 2009 to January 25th, 2010. That of Jean-Auguste Dominique Ang's stunningly beautiful portrait of Louise Albertine, the celebrated Comtesse d'Ossainville. Writer, musician, watercolorist, the Comtesse was equally as fluent with the politics of the day and the power of knowledge and independence. In this splendid, bewitching painting, she confronts us, the viewers, with a bold stare that goes beyond the bounds of seduction. And one wonders if she regards us, or perhaps the painter himself, with a combination of flirtation, haughtiness, or perhaps that's a touch of amusement. So welcome, Colin. We're looking forward to hosting this insouciant beauty, and today we're hoping that you can decode for us that forthright gaze. One of her acquaintances remarked that Aang must have been in love with her to be able to paint such a bold portrait. So tell us, who was this formidable young woman, and how did Aang come to paint her? Well, as you've so well said, she is a formidably beautiful and imposing presence in this portrait. Louise Albertine de Broy, she was the daughter of a very grand aristocratic family, the granddaughter of perhaps the most famous woman novelist of the 19th century, Madame de Stael, and the great-granddaughter of Jacques Necker, who had been the finance minister during Louis XVI's reign, one of the richest men in the kingdom. So she was herself the offspring of literary, political, and grand nobility, and she was always a woman of independent means, independent thoughts. She marries in 1836 an equally impressive young man, the Comte d'Ossonville, Joseph Ottenin Bernard de Clairon, a rather grand name. Her husband, Ottenin, is a secretary to the embassy in Naples, and the two then leave for Italy in 1838. She's only 20, and she moves to Naples, she speaks very good Italian, and she will come to Rome in 1840, where she visits Angra at the Villa Medicis. The, the couple then return to Paris, and most importantly, Angra returns to Paris in 1841. May I say a few words about him? Yes. He's a, a wonderful painter, but an interesting artist, because Angra, who in, in some ways is David's greatest pupil, who is enshrined as the father of the classical tradition, the head of the academy, the most prominent and highly decorated artist in France in the 1840s, 50s, and 60s. He dies in 1867 at the age of 87. Angra himself had had a difficult past as an artist, an artist of whom much was hoped for, who had extraordinary 
proficiency and skill in his technique, who also created the most grandiose and exciting subjects from allegory and history, and, mm -hmm. but who was, of course, above all, an absolutely inspired portraitist. And he does not really create the reputation he seeks for himself in Paris. His works are initially, when he shows as an artist in his 20s and 30s, misunderstood, underappreciated. When he comes back to Paris and shows his vow of Louis XIII in 1824, he is then acclaimed as the heir to the classical tradition. But even so, over the next 10 years, his works are not always greeted with rapture at the Salon and by the critics. And he goes back to be the head of the French Academy in Rome between 1835 and 1841, where he has a very happy life in Rome, away from the give and take of Parisian life. But when he returns to Paris, he comes back in 1841 as the grand man of French art. And what he probably doesn't think he's going to be doing is <laughs> painting portraits. I remember, in fact, that he's quoted as saying, this isn't why I came back to Paris. Is that <laughs> at this point? It's almost exactly at this point. <laughs> he, he comes back in 1841. He finds himself taken up by the Orléans family, who are the reigning family, and begins to receive commissions from them. What he's really keen to do, as all history painters have been keen to do, is to paint on large, monumental, grand commissions. Meanwhile, because he's such a revered figure, he's out every night, more or less, and everyone wants him at their table because everyone really wants him to do a portrait of them. And he has a dinner with the Comtesse de Sonville in 1842. When the issue of a portrait is first raised, it's in 1842, mm -hmm. so she is 24 years old, and Angra makes several beginnings, both in paintings and drawings. Can you describe this picture to us? I mean, we, it is jam-packed mm. with all sorts mm. of hints about her and her lifestyle, her personality. Absolutely. Let's have a go, because, of course, the great thing is to be looking at the picture. But imagine a young woman in a very crisp and elegant blue evening gown. Her nape is very sensuous, and she is placing one hand across her stomach, and her chin is nestled in her left hand, and she's looking at us with, as you've said before, a gaze that is not always easy to interpret. She's resting against her fireplace. Her back is towards a large mirror over the fireplace in which we see reflected her chignon, a red ribbon, and all the elements that are on the chimney piece. We have porcelain mounted vases that are arrayed as they were very, in very fashionable interiors in pairs and, in, and symmetrically. When we look harder, we see that on either side of this chimney piece, which by the way is covered in Prussian blue velvet, are two white tufted armchairs. And against one of them, the one nearest to us, is placed a cashmere shawl. And if we look really hard, on the right of the chimney are a pair of opera glasses and even a Chinese silk evening bag. There are five visiting cards laid on this chimney piece. Three of them have their corners turned down. That means that someone has come to see her, <laughs> left her card because she wasn't in. Now, what, what moment has Angra wanted to catch? He is showing her in this extraordinarily beautiful and crisp silk evening gown. He is showing her with opera glasses, with visiting cards, and a, a cashmere shawl. And we're seeing her in her boudoir, so it's, it's, it's reasonable to suggest that she is just returning from an evening in the theatre. And yet the room is bathed in 
a bright, clear light. There's no candle to give us nocturnal light, and we see her fully illuminated. And Angra has made real care that her bare arms, her fingers, the nape of her neck, her forehead, her flesh is highly illuminated. So tell us about the route that the picture takes then. Well, Angra, having finished the picture in 1845, the picture is shown in an exhibition in Paris in 1846. It's shown again in the Exposition Universelle in 1855. It's shown again in the retrospective exhibition to Angra. But it then remains at her house in Coppet. When her children die, it's decided that the picture can be sold. And in 1924, the painting is sold to a client of Wildenstein's. This was the time in which Miss Frick, Frick's daughter, was the most energetic acquisitor for the Frick collection. Mr. Frick had died in 1919, had left a large endowment, and with the express purpose of adding works of great quality to the collection. And so it was purchased in January 1927. In December 35, when the museum opens, the Contest d'Ossonville is bang in the center of the East Gallery, in a way, drawing you into that room. So it has an iconic presence at the Frick almost as soon as the museum opens. And for many people, it is as Frick-like a picture as anything that we have. It's a masterpiece of masterpieces. Well, we're not going to be able to outfit her in such a sumptuous <laughs> way when she comes to Pasadena. She's going to, however, hang in the same gallery where there are assembled some other commanding portraits, Agoya, Vijay Lebruns, Countess Kinski, and our own Ang of Baron Joseph de Mortario. I thank you very much for talking with us about this incredible portrait. We're very excited to have her here with us. And we're very happy at this collaboration. And I, I'm really very excited to come and see people's reaction because it is, as you've said, she really is one of the most beguiling presences in 19th century art. And she evokes strong and different responses. Baudelaire spoke about how Angra was really the painter of voluptuousness. And for this Protestant matron, there is a feeling of real voluptuousness in every surface, in every detail, in every fold of her gown. And you can never really understand, no matter how many times you look at it, how Angra could achieve these effects, because it is it's an illusionism and a mastery of technique, but it's not at the service simply of technique. There is something very tactile, sensuous, and seductive about this picture. 